Resilience is what takes us through adversity. Sometimes we have it, sometimes we have to find it. And when we anchor into it, we might have the ability to truly connect with others and help make change. I'm Callie Youngstrom, and this is Keep Yourself Well. My guest today has truly faced a parent's worst nightmare, learning to live again after the death of her 17-year-old daughter, Lisa Baim, battled suicidal thoughts, worked through immense layers of grief in what she calls her darkest time, and has somehow found her way to a new purpose. Today, she's living with gratitude and connecting with others as a speaker, author, and most recently, the host of a podcast called Rising Strong. Hello, Lisa. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's my pleasure. I always love to kick off the podcast with the question of how do you, Lisa, keep yourself well? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, For years, I have been a big believer in exercise, diet, sleep, water, the basics. Um, And then in times of adversity, it just becomes more and more apparent to me that those are the cornerstones of keeping my head above the water. Mm. Interesting you say that because I think that is often the time where it's most challenging for people to take care of the basics. And often too, when you're having trouble keeping your head above water is when you're caring for others or catering to, you know, other demands. Have you struggled with that in the past, letting go of those things to kind of take care of others and maybe have had to learn the hard way? I know for me, I've had to learn that the hard way multiple times over, slow learner, stubborn. I think that is honestly part of being female. I think it's it's within our genes that we will do anything and everything to care for our loved ones. And unfortunately, that means taking care of ourselves goes to the bottom of the list a lot. And when my kids were small, that's what mama bear did. You know, everyone else was taken care of and made happy and so on and so forth. And, you know, by 11 PM, mama bear didn't have any gas in the tank to do the things that I needed to do for myself. And I literally crashed and burned. Um, you know, I have, I have a a history of depression and anxiety, and it just kind of went deeper and deeper until I learned that I had to fill my bucket first. I think so many can relate to having to crash and burn until getting to that point of, you know, allowing. And my, my hope is through these types of conversations, you know, we're constantly giving people, you know, women, especially if they're listening as, you know, mothers, the permission to put yourself first. And, you know, of course the, uh, you know, the air mask analogy from the like, you know, take care of your own oxygen first, but it's so much easier said than done. How do you, well, I guess you learned this, it sounds after your kids were no longer young. What would you recommend women or people, individuals do when they find that guilt, like just this immense sense of guilt of trying to put yourself first? Because I think that's the biggest issue is it, it feels so much easier said than done. Well, and to add on to that, I don't know that it's always just guilt. I think it's time time constraints, right? You know, there are busier seasons in our lives than others. And by the time the lunches are made and the kids go to dance and hockey and you spend time with your husband and, you know, the house is cleaned and the groceries are bought, there isn't time unless we make time. And I know for myself, you're right. It's easier said than done. And we run out of time and we've got really excuses. But I guess what I did was it was a check-in for myself. And after you've crashed and burned a couple of times, I know even how much better I feel to go out for a walk by myself for an hour, how much that will recharge my batteries. I know that I will be a better mother. I know that I will be a better partner, a better worker, and just a whole lot happier to be around when I have 
you know, I don't think we need hours and hours and hours of extensive time alone or investing in trainers. Those are great. Don't get me wrong. But I think the key is just finding those things that help us fill our bucket. It might be a paint class. It might be a yoga class. It might be a walk with the neighbor, but identifying what it is that fills our bucket and then schedule it in because if it's not scheduled, it's not happening. Hmm. Well, and putting it, you know, at a priority level, that's equal to some of these things, you know, of course, like babies need fed and those things maybe have to take precedence, but you know, some of those other things where I'm like, maybe groceries can wait a day and like, it's actually better to pick up a rotisserie chicken or order in something that is still nourishing, but quick and, you know, just knowing that it deserves to be a little bit higher up on the priority list. So what was your experience in kind of coming to this realization that something had to shift to prioritize yourself a little bit more, as you said, mental health, being a part of it, crashing and burning, you know, having to learn the hard way. How did this come full circle for you to be able to prioritize? Uh, Frankly, I had no choice. I had uh, stumbled along trying to do all the things and be all the things to all the people. And uh, eight years ago, we lost our daughter in a car accident. And I, being the control freak, recovering control freak that I am, uh, I took it upon myself that I was going to be the one that got my husband and my son through this tragedy. I took 10 months off of work because I had buckets of sick time and I dove head first into being everyone's everything. I did all the things. I cut the grass. I, I, I tried to make their lives as easy as possible because my son was going to school. He was 15. My husband decided that if we we're going to make my son go back to school, then one of us should go back to work. He was back at work and I just wanted I wanted them so much to be okay. And in doing so, crashed and burned and actually suffered in silence with suicidal ideation. Thankfully, um, you know, out of left field, I can't even explain why that switch was turned off, but it was. Uh, But that was like a huge smack in the head. Okay, you need some help mentally. And I I knew I had been working as a health coach for years prior to that. And I knew that my antidepressant, if you will, was being active and eating well. And I needed to start simply drinking enough water to replace the tears. Sounds ridiculously simple, but I wasn't drinking water. And, uh, you know, the, the science shows us that the more dehydrated we are, the more likely we are to feel depressed. So it was just a big, ugly time in my life. And I knew that I needed to make myself a priority. I can only imagine the loss of a child and that so many's, you know, response to grief is control, right? Like how, how do you possibly manage this unfathomable loss? New year, new adventures, new goals, same great experience that Sweet and Sprouted. As the winter season unfolds, immerse yourself in the delightful world of guilt-free indulgence. Embrace cold weather and cozy vibes with Sweet and Sprouted's delectable treats, thoughtfully crafted for those living the low-carb, low-sugar, and keto lifestyles. Your taste buds will dance with delight when you dive into decadent desserts that align with your nutrition goals. Adapt to cooler days ahead by exploring their curated selection of snacks, seasonings, fresh goods, and energizing beverages. And don't forget the convenient on-the-go snacks to take along on your hot holiday, helping you stay on track no matter where you are. Visit sweetensprouted.com now and enter promo code wellness10 to enjoy an exclusive 10% discount on your order. Replenish your stock and explore new goodies. Again, that's promo code wellness10 at sweetensprouted.com for 10% off or just mention KY Wellness in store for 10% at the Saskatoon location.
And I think that control is such a common coping mechanism, you know, I can imagine. And I, where does that leave space for you to grieve? How do you feel that affected just a postponing of the grief of bottling up? And, you know, once that did come to the surface, which sounds like it was kind of festering slowly, how did you begin to move through that? You know, I think, I mean, the grief was there from the minute I had a police officer in the corner in my front room. There's no doubt about it. But whenever I talk about grief, especially new grief, it's like a six flags roller coaster. Like it's moving so fast and so unpredictably, you know, veering left, veering right, loop-de-loop. You don't know what's coming next. You don't know if you're going to want to puke, if you're going to want to scream, if you're going to want to yell that you want to get off. It's that harsh and that unpredictable. And that's what it was like. Um, However, we had a 15-year-old son at the time. He's now 23, uh, who did not choose healthy coping skills. Mm. And there were literally times in my own grief journey, even on that six flags ride where I had to take my grief and put it over there for a bit and just focus on him. Um, And it took, boy, two years until I would say that I could go to sleep without him being at home, knowing that he was making better decisions, knowing that he was safe. And I would say that's when I could actually literally feel myself take a breath. Mm -hmm. It took me that long. I was, I was harboring so much fear. And I think when you lose someone you love, who's so close to you, you realize how fragile life is. And I mean, Katie left the house on an ordinary Tuesday night to run an errand. Mm -hmm. She was killed in a head on collision, right? It's not like there were no drugs. There was no drinking. There was no texting. Road conditions were good, you know, um, And I just, for a long time, felt like I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. Something else terrible was going to happen. So I don't know that it's, it's a really cut and dry answer that I can give you, but you know, there's just so much going on, so many dynamics. And when you talk about grief, you could line a hundred grieving mothers up in a room. Nobody's going to do it the same. We all come into grief with our own pre-existing life journeys, other traumas, um, religious beliefs, a, a variety of things that that come into play when we are grieving. My husband and I, who agree on everything, parenting, money, I didn't think our marriage was going to last. You know, at about the six-month mark, He was a very quiet griever. He needed to be in his own space, even though he went to work every day. Don't know how he did it. He would come home, but I would literally get the hand if I started to talk about Katie or grief or what I was feeling. I was a doer. My grief was very active. I needed to have projects. I was creating scholarships. I was, you know, doing dress drives for, uh, graduating grade 12 students who didn't have the funds to buy a fancy gown. I was doing all kinds of things. And that was not the way he wanted to grieve. Our son, as I said, was out in left field. Um, He didn't have maybe the life skills as, you know, as a 15 year old boy, you don't have a lot of life skills. Um, And so his go-to were, anger, mad, and pot. Mm. Bad mixture, very bad mixture. And I was willing to do anything to help my son. Uh, My husband just put the blinders on, put his head in the sand. Mm. It was a really, really hard time. It was, there was not a lot of, of Lisa time because I didn't allow it, right? I was on a mission. I was on a mission to help someone and save someone. Mm -hmm. And I really appreciate the analogy that you use with the roller coaster, because I think for those who have 
been fortunate enough to not have to experience grief in that way. You know, we hear, you know, the stages of grief and it's depression, anger, anger, bargaining, you know, acceptance. And it, it sounds like it should take this linear journey. And I think that's just so not the case very clearly. And, you know, also how long does it last? And I'm sure you can speak to it never, you know, it never goes away. You're never done grieving. It just looks different and you grow around the grief. Yeah. Yeah. Very well said. I mean, I say that I went from that awful six flags roller coaster to the kitty roller coaster. Hmm. So it's, you know, the, the ups and the downs and the loop-de-loops and all of that aren't as so severe, but they're still there. Um, I've chosen to build a life around my grief. Unfortunately, there are people who don't want to do that in fear that they're leaving their person behind. Um, I prefer to think of it as bringing my daughter with me. I just have to figure out how to do that, right? So, and I also think that grief is like this horrible, heavy boulder and I've just got to figure out how to carry it. Cause I, I can't put it over there. I can't put it down. Like it's, it's with me. It's a, it's, it's with me forever. So I just kind of have to figure out the way to move forward and carry it with me. Well, and I mean, to the point thinking about your son being 15, well, no 15 year old, no mother, you know, should ever have to have the tools to manage that type of grief. And it's, you know, I think about counseling and therapy. And, you know, I think we're having more and more conversations about health all the time, you know, mental health, postpartum even. And maybe there are some tools that kind of proactively we can prepare with and pick up along the way, but no one's proactively preparing to deal with a loss like this. And how, you know, how do you, and you shouldn't have to. So, uh, you know, how lucky your son is to have had a parent like you who could step up and and show up for him but i can't imagine the challenge in you know navigating those various dynamics so once you started struggling with your own mental health as well what were the actions that you started to take i mean coming back to some of those foundational care habits you know the basics as you said literally just hydrating when i can imagine just breathing and showing up to life on any given day feels impossible when you're dealing with a loss like that. Once you recognize like, okay, I'm, I'm really struggling, you know, beyond what feels, you know, sustainable. What did you move forward with to support you? Well, the first thing I did was pick up the phone and called my counselor who I had been seeing. Um, However, while I was comfortable being open and vulnerable and honest with her, it took me four years to tell my husband that I had been struggling so deeply. He heard me practicing for a speech that I was giving on stage uh, about four years after we lost Katie. And he walked past the room and he just backed up and he said, what did you just say? I said, yeah. I said, "I, I was counting sleeping pills and staring down the wine rack, you know, at about the six month mark. He had no idea no idea. Um, but honestly, like you're a hundred percent sure or certain we can not prepare for grief, right? Even if someone is actively dying, say in hospital has received, um, yeah, terminal illness, a diagnosis, there's a certain amount of preparation we can do for that. But the loss of a child, you don't prepare for that. But I think that's why the foundations of self-care are so important. And I think like for myself, because I, this was a part of my life and coping because I did struggle with depression and anxiety to a certain degree before this happened and knew and learned the hard way that exercise, diet, self-care, you know, like just the basics were critical for me. So I knew, I think I lasted eight days after her accident without exercising. And it was like, I could hear her chirping away in my ear, just saying, mom, you know, you're going to feel better. We have a home gym, go downstairs and just do something, just do something. And, you know, that was, that was the push that I needed. And then from there, 
I'm not a runner. I mean, it is just a terrible thing to watch me try and run, but uh, we have a treadmill in the basement. I, I call it plotting. That's about what I do. But I ran on that treadmill every day for months until I couldn't walk. And, you know, it was basically pulling myself up the stairs with the banister because I would get to that point, first of all, of exhaustion because I wasn't sleeping. I needed something to help me sleep. Even the sleeping pills didn't work. Um, my knees hurt like hell, but it gave me that little, that runner's high. If, if anybody has had that before, you know, it's just, it gave me the belief that I could survive another day. And that's all I needed. One more day, one more day, one more day. And I just found my crutches and I found my tools as I went along, you know, and then I went to a mom's grief group and I met some amazing women who were, you know, four and five years further down the road. One said, oh my gosh, grief yoga has really helped me. Well, guess what? I was trying the next day, right? Or journaling really helped me. Awesome. I was just so open to anything. And then I call it like a, a grief tool belt. So over time, if you're open to these things, you're building your tool belt. Because even without grief, I think we all know that not always is the same tool going to help us when we're struggling, right? Like maybe sometimes it's calling a girlfriend. Maybe sometimes it's talking to your therapist, but maybe, maybe those things don't work sometimes. So the more tools you have in your tool belt, the more likely you are going to have something when you hit the rock bottom again. Well, and to you, I was thinking the toolbox is the perfect analogy and you know, where you're, when you're at different points on this roller coaster, like might have to try a few different tools and see what works in that day. And I mean, I really, I love that you highlight the, these basics because, you know, of course I'm a health coach as well. I'm constantly like sleep is the number one, like don't even worry so much about movement and nutrition. If you're not sleeping, you know, not that it's not all important, but like sleep, hydration, movement, nourishment, you know, you and I, I think both view these as the basics and the fundamentals, but a lot of people are not at the point yet in their journey when they're even where they're implementing those. Ready to conquer the new year with endless energy and vitality? Empower your journey to a stronger you with Supplement World Canada. As we settle into the winter season, I know, let them be your guide to the very best supplements for your lifestyle. Their knowledgeable staff is ready to support your health journey year round. Of course, they have a huge variety of low carb and sugar free options. From protein bars to energizing smoothies, your taste buds and your body will appreciate the boost. Indulge without compromise because staying healthy should never mean sacrificing flavor or quality ingredients. Discover their quality curated supplements designed to boost immunity, enhance workouts, and maintain overall well-being. But wait, there's more. Visit supplementworldcanada.com and enter promo code wellness10 to enjoy an exclusive 10% discount on your order. Why not thrive instead of just survive this winter season? What are you waiting for? Head to supplementworldcanada.com now and use promo code wellness10 to kickstart your journey to a stronger, healthier you. And I think this is just another example of the importance of those things in life, you know, whether you're a new mom, as you had spoken to, and, you know, have to have that foundation, it builds resiliency for whatever you end up going through in life. And so if you at least have those that you can come back to, you know, with, if all you do that day is drink your water and like eat a nourishing meal, that's a, that can be a success, you know, at that point. So I'm really thrilled to hear that you mentioned these resources, you know, I think of course, counseling comes to mind for people, but knowing that there are groups, you know, you can connect with people who have gone through the same thing. You can find classes dedicated to this. Was therapy and counseling with your family a part of the healing process? No, I tried to make that happen. Uh, remember I said earlier that I was a little bit of a control freak. I think within 
two weeks, I was dragging my hun- my son and husband to counseling because I thought we got to do this as a family. We got to figure this out. And unfortunately, we had a terrible, terrible counselor. And after two visits, both my son and husband on the way home from the, the, the session both said, why are you making us go? And I could just tell that it was not for them. One thing I've learned is that, you know, the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but it's up to them. And my son after, so he went, started going to counseling this summer. So at seven and a half years. Oh, yeah. He had some other things happen in his life. um, And it just ripped the scab off of his grief, which he had never really dealt with. And he was the one that came to me. And this is where I am so inspired by uh, the younger generation, because I think they are the ones that are going to make great changes in this world when it comes to mental health. Here's my young son, who's 23 years old, tough guy, works in the trades, tears in his eyes and said, mom, I think I need some help. I said, I think you do too. And, uh, you know, went, I, I don't know if he's still going, but he's in a good place. And he recognized that he needed the help. But uh, my husband has never, has never gone after those two times, but he's, he's good too. And our, our marriage, like it was questionable at six months. We're great. Oh. We're great. We grew apart initially, but we grew back together stronger. I'm so glad. I mean, I'm just thrilled. And I think that is such a challenging thing to want to make sure everyone else is healthy and know that their path to, I don't even know if healing's the right word. Like, do you, do you ever truly heal from something like this, you know, or it just becomes manageable? I don't know what language you would use in that instance, you know, but that everyone's path to getting through it is, is different. And if it's so different from yours and maybe seems, you know, counterproductive or destructive at times, I can't imagine how difficult to, you know, kind of honor their individual needs. Well, and as a mom, right. You, I mean, I, my husband was a a grown man, so, you know, I, I have, you do you, but my son, you know, and seeing the the unhealthy choices and just knowing as an adult where that can lead was terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. Um, I do believe that uh, his guardian angel kicked his butt when needed and, you know, gave him a shove here and there, but uh, yeah, it was, it was about two and a half years of pure hell with him. And then he started to see things differently himself and, probably inherit some of his stubbornness from his mother and, uh, but, and needed to do that on his own, figure it out on his own. Yeah. Big sister was on guard to make sure. I think so. I think so. So how do you feel, you know, like over seven years later, your son is obviously, you know, still affected by this as I'm sure the entire Mm -hmm. family is and forever will be, you know, once you've experienced a trauma like that, do you find, you know, hearing about car accidents and the like loss of other people's children, does it still like hit you like a sack of bricks? You know, does that get easier and just moving through hearing of other trauma? I don't know. That's a great question. I'd never been posed that before. Um, I do work with grieving mothers. Um, I'm a certified grief educator. And it's, it's a fine line between being able to listen and be present for somebody's grief, especially new grief, but also not take it on. Mm. It's, it's hard. I had to go for, um, EMDR. If anybody, if any of your listeners are familiar with that about two years after we lost Katie, I could not handle hearing sirens. I mean, we, we didn't hear the sirens that night. I was not on scene that night, but for whatever reasons, sirens just about turned me inside out. 
I would always have to take a mental check. Like, where's my son? Is he in school? Where's my husband? Is he at work? And if they were not, if my husband was golfing or my, my son was with his friends, they would definitely be getting a text from me. Just heard a siren. Where are you? What are you doing? Are you okay? And thankfully they both humored me. Yep. Yep. Just doing this just with buddies, whatever. Um, and then I work in healthcare. I work in cancer care and we'd had a code blue. Um, so somebody was, became unresponsive in the cancer clinic and that's, I mean, it's, we're trained, it can happen. We're in a hospital setting, but typically we run an outpatient facility. It does not happen often. And I don't know how, but I dodged the bullet all these years and finally had my first code blue. And even though I wasn't at Katie's accident scene, the rush of doctors, the rush of first responders, the rush, like the room fills up with people so fast that it was as if I was experiencing her accident, even though I wasn't. And that put me off work for a little bit. I didn't know if I'd actually be able to go to work. And that's when um, a colleague of mine who does EMDR said, why don't you come see me? Let's give this a try. Wow. And she works regularly with first responders, firefighters, police officers, so on and so forth. And this is, this is a lot of what they do with them, the work they do. And it, it changed my trajectory for sure. I was able to kind of re reformat in them in my, my brain somehow. I can't even explain how it works, but I, I did need extra help like that. That's incredible. What an incredible resource to be recommended at a time like that. Ready to elevate your physical adventures this season? Element is the answer. The ultimate science-backed electrolyte drink designed to keep you at your best no matter the weather. Whether you're exploring the snowy outdoors, hitting the gym, or enjoying a brisk winter stroll, Element's scientifically crafted formula replenishes vital electrolytes lost during activity. It's not just for scorching heat, though you can absolutely pack it with you if you're going on a hot holiday this season. It's truly a daily hydration solution, including for frigid escapades. Say goodbye to sugary artificial drinks. Every sip of Element contains essential minerals, including sodium, potassium, and magnesium, but without the unwanted sugar. Visit my website, kywalnuts.ca, and click on the Element link under products to discover the power of Element for yourself. With any purchase, you'll receive a free sample pack to try and experience the revitalizing effects firsthand. Let's get salty. And I would like to pose the question, you know, I think when we're, I'll use my personal experience. I'm currently a friend, dear friend has lost a parent and I've been, how do I show up for this person and how do I support someone in their grief? And then, you know, don't want to recommend things for fear of overstepping. But in this sense, it sounds like that was an incredible recommendation that you maybe weren't asking for a recommendation, but you were willing and open to hear it. But I feel like that's just such sensitive territory. You know, how do we support people through their grief? Do we recommend things? I've also heard people say, you know, don't put the onus of responsibility on the griever. Don't say, you know, let me know what I can do for you because that's putting the the weight on them. But what do we say? What do we do? Can you give recommendations, you know, on how to support someone through their grief? I think the recommendations I'll give are very broad, which is probably not what you're looking for, but because as a griever, we're so different. I was open. Um, you know, if someone said, gosh, you know, my friend is going to this group, maybe you want to try it. Yep. Give me the information. I want to check it out. But I also know, and have met lots of people that, um, are not that open, but I think just starting at the, at the, at the beginning of what to say and what not to say. I think the basics are, I'm so sorry. This is so unfair. Because when we start into the cliches, God needed another angel, everything happens for a reason, um, all of these things, they're quite hurtful, right? Like if God needed another angel, why didn't he take your kid, <laughs> right? Um, I 
always appreciate people just being so honest. I think one of my best friends showed up white faced and just said, Lisa, I, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And just gave me a huge hug. And in fact, our daughters had gone to school all the way from kindergarten, all the way through 12th grade. And she said, I will never talk about my daughter ever again, because I know it, it will be hurtful for you to, to hear. And of course I said, my gosh, no, please. You know, it hurts me to know that my daughter won't get married, won't have children, you know, but at the same time, I'm happy for you. So just her being open and honest with, I don't know what to say. Just, I just knew that everything that came out of her mouth after that point was just coming from such a sincere place. Um, unless someone has gone through that exact thing, it's best not to say, I know exactly what you're feeling because I haven't lost a parent. I, I can't know what that's like. And I say this to be funny, it's not funny, but a couple of weeks after we lost Katie, somebody that I know quite well said to me, oh, Lisa, oh, I know, I know exactly what you're feeling. And I thought, oh my gosh, I've known you forever. And I didn't know you lost a child. She goes, no, no, our dog died last week. I knew and I just thought, you. oh, okay. <laughs> Okay. You know, and um, I was speaking on stage a month or so ago. I don't know if you remember here in Canada, there was a, a huge bus accident with a hockey team. This goes back to 2018 and half the team died at the scene, including coaches and so on, and half have survived. But of course, all of these young men have got scars, whether they're internal or external. And I was on stage with one of the young men that survived. And um, I said to him, we lost Katie before that bus accident. And I said, I felt when we got the news about your bus crash that I felt the pain of every single parent involved. But I said, I would, I would never say it to many people that way because I can't ever step into your shoes. You know, and here he was, one of the players he lost 16 people in a heartbeat. So comparing our grief is just never a helpful thing. Um, in terms of what we can do or not do, show up. Just show up and keep showing up. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, grief doesn't go away. I love it when people send me a note, especially on Katie's birthday or her, I call it her angel anniversary. When someone you know loses a loved one, open your phone, Put it in your notes that that person's birthday and angel anniversary and reach out always on those days. Even if it's eight years out, 10 years out, 15 years out. Hey, just thinking of you today. I know it's Katie's birthday and I know it's always a tough one. Um, so Katie was 17 when she died. And a lot of her friends looked to me for support. And their way of communicating was through text. So I would often get, you know, heart emoji, heart emoji, thinking of you or, you know, LOL, just remembering a time that Katie dumped an entire beer in her purse or, you know, something like that. And that was so touching for them to reach out to me in a way that felt good for them. But sharing stories, if, if you knew that person, to reach out to their family, their friends, and just saying, you know, I just remembered this time, or here's this photo I have of her. I don't know if you have this photo. Um, we had our, our front driveway shoveled the entire winter, the first year. Nobody, we didn't ask anybody. Our neighbors just did it. That's I had a coworker show up with a bag of toilet paper, tissues, paper, uh, paper plates, and non-perishable food so that we didn't have to leave the house. Because going to the grocery store, I don't know why, for grieving people is really hard. So those are just a handful of thoughtful things that people can do. Those are really great and actionable advice. And I mean, you know, that's why I posed the question because of course, every every grieving person 
needs and wants a different approach. But I think those are generally, you know, good, safe recommendations. And I can imagine that period of grief, you know, in the, you know, um, once kind of the dust has seemingly settled from the tragedy and, you know, the, the food is no longer coming and the drop offs aren't happening and the daily check ins aren't happening. And, you know, eventually people are going back to work, but you're still just reeling with it in such a big way. I can imagine that transition being really difficult. You know, I've heard many people talk about kind of after services and and funerals or celebrations of life, like it's so busy up until then that you almost don't have time to really think about it or be sat alone with it in the same way that you do after that. So that transition period, did you feel that shift yourself? And is that when you got into kind of the productivity of kind of doing and taking on some of these volunteer initiatives yourself? It's a really lonely time. Like I would say grief gets harder after the funeral, Mm. at least initially, because everybody rallies around you after the event. And then up until the funeral, like I'm embarrassed to say Before the funeral, I think like my doorbell did not quit ringing and I was exhausted. I hadn't slept in days and I just, would people just, I never said it to anyone, but to my husband, would people just leave us alone? But then the funeral comes and they do leave you alone, right? Because people have come, they've, they've said they're, you know, giving you your, their condolences and all of that kind of thing. But then everybody else's life keeps spinning, right? There's still hockey to go to and dance lessons and groceries to be bought and everybody else's world is spinning as they should be, but ours has stopped. Uh, so I would say that is probably the most critical time, you know, to send, send the text. You don't even have to go over there all the time, although that's really nice, but check in, you know, just thinking about you. Yeah. I know a lot of grieving people hate the question. How are you? Because we feel, a lot of us feel like, well, don't you know, like it's really crappy. Um, So I try as much as I can to either say, hey, I've been thinking about you or, oh, it's so good to see you. Mm -hmm. And you can almost see their shoulders drop because now they don't have to answer that question. Yeah. I've been doing a lot of just checking in, you know, like, because it is, what do you expect the answer to be? Like, it sucks this is shitty. It's the worst time of my life. Like, of course, you know, and I want to also give people the opportunity, like, I'm happy to listen to that. If that's how it feels and you want to say that's how it feels, you know, I think like so often people are putting on, especially with, like you said, like the funeral and the people coming over, you're putting on this brave face, you know, like you're hosting almost, which is so unfair that that's the way it is immediately after. So lengthening the support ongoing, I mean, forever, you know, when it's a a tragic loss like this too, of someone so young. And do you get tired of talking about grief? You know, I feel like that's a self-indulgent question since here I am, you know, having you on the podcast to talk about grief, but like, I can imagine that it must get fatiguing, you know, to talk about it and, and, be in it or is it healing and therapeutic and you know just what's your experience is it empowering to kind of take it into your own hands I won't ever get tired of talking about my daughter and and that's what I see it as is an opportunity to shine her light even though you know we're not talking about her maybe specifically as a person here but I also do like talking about it myself because I do want people to know that life can be good again, right? I mean, I've re- I've received some some hate mail about this, but um, I truly, truly believe that with work and with you know a lot of perspective work and mindset work and all of that kind of thing, that life can be good again. What I do struggle with, and I do find it's getting harder, is to sit with other people's grief Mm. because it's impossible for me. First of all, I'm an empath by nature, but then, you know, to know that pain of another grieving parent in particular child loss, um, it's really hard to be with that. 
yeah, I can only imagine. And to almost maybe be viewed as the person who has some sort of answer or magic formula, you know, having gone through it and to say, hey, you know, it can get better. I'm, I'm really, I guess I should say my initial reaction when you say you've received some hate to say things like that, like it can get, you know, better and there's a life on the other side of grief is shock. But then I come to like trying to be empathetic and explore that, investigate it. And I can imagine it's jealousy or resentment for someone who, you know, hasn't gotten to that point or where do you feel like that type of feedback comes from? Because, you know, imagining it's from a parent who's lost a child, it's hard for me to imagine them not, you know, wanting that for someone or hoping that for themselves and others. Well, I I think that, you know, uh, grief is a journey, much less any other really like going over a mountain, climbing Mount Everest. Like there's lots of hard things in life, but I think that we have to take some ownership um, as the griever. And and that is not something that you say to somebody who's in early grief. And there has, you know, I think we all come into our grief journey with different life experiences. Uh, hurt people hurt people. Sometimes people are coming in to losing a child, having experienced lots of other trauma that perhaps hasn't been dealt with yet or from all kinds of situations, or sometimes it's just thoughts in that they received uh, in their upbringing. Sometimes it's religious thoughts. Sometimes it's a variety of things. And I think whether we're trying to lose weight, which I realize is an entirely different thing, or we're trying to uh, cope with our grief, we have to want that to happen before it can happen, right? I can't just think about losing weight, right? I've got to do some of the things. I've got to watch what I'm eating. I've got to exercise more. I've got to have that mindset. I've got to have the belief that I can lose that weight. And really coping with grief on a very simplistic level is not that much different, right? But it takes time. We have to get to that spot where we're ready to think, hmm, I wonder, I wonder if maybe there's a different way that, that my grief can look right and and to be open to that kind of thing so uh it was hard like i felt for a long time that i had to hold my truth inside because i did get some hate mail and hate social media messages uh in the beginning so then i was like oh well geez you know i must be doing this all wrong and uh you know like that was awful of me i can't believe i i made someone else upset and then you know, as the eight years have kind of rolled on, I've realized this is my truth. This is my belief. Not everybody will agree, right? Not everybody's going to agree that life can be good after you lose a child, a loved one. Um, but, but I do. And now I'm just a little bit maybe pickier with who I share that thought with and kind of take into account where they're at on their journey. I mean, you want to be hopeful but you don't want to grief shame anyone. Well, and I mean, I really appreciate you having this conversation here, you know, where other people will hear you say that. And I mean, my hope is that it inspires anyone who might feel like there's no, nothing on the other side of that loss. You know, I think that's such a bookmark experience. It's like before Katie's accident, and after, you know, I can, I can imagine not to project it. And, you know, there was that moment, obviously, where you thought about ending that chapter. And I can imagine so many people think about it. So for you to be able to speak on the fact that you wanted to almost close your own journey, and now you've seen how much life has to offer, you know, seven years and beyond gives certain perspective. And so I know you had mentioned, you know, kind of fatiguing on holding other people's grief is that part of what's inspired you to you know pursue more professional public speaking and I know you've got a new podcast which I'd love to know about and I love the name rising strong which is it's got good energy behind it tell me about your professional changes that have been happening you know, I just, um, I think whenever hard things happen to us, I think there's, there's opportunity in there. And, uh, 
opportunity for growth being the main thing. And I'm a lifelong learner. And, you know, I mentioned earlier that I work in healthcare. Um, one of the, one of the many hats I wear, I'm a radiation therapist. So I give radiation treatments to cancer patients and taking that schooling and, and doing the work that I do, there's a lot of people that I, I give treatments to that are at end of life or in palliative care. I thought I knew a thing or two about grief. I really did. Uh, you know, a large degree of my schooling, we, we talked about this stuff, but it always went back to the five stages of grief, which I actually have training from uh, David Kessler, who is one of the co-authors and co-creators of that. I don't love that theory, but um, so I went on to become a certified grief educator because I wanted to learn more. I wanted to learn more about grief. I wanted to learn more about helping other people. I wanted to learn all of that, but I more than anything love to share the message of hope. Because I think in this world that we're living in right now, with everything that's going on and unfolding and has been for years, we could all use a little bit more hope. I think that the message of um, human connection is also something that I'm very, very passionate about. We were never meant to do any of this alone. None of us, whether it's grief, divorce, any of these life challenges or living, we weren't meant to do it alone. So that's, that's really where I, my passion lies. And I'm just always open to the universe, just kind of guiding me along or Katie, uh, guiding me along to the next thing. I love that. I mean, it's, it just comes back to that. It takes a village, which I think we often think about with like raising children, you know, not necessarily grieving children and just grief. And how do you deal with the thought or, you know, voice of someone's like, you know, it's just not fair. That is just the thing that comes to mind. Like, yeah, it's just not fair. How do you get past just being stuck on that lack of fairness? As you said, you know, why not someone else's and not that you'd wish that, you know, why not someone else's child, but like, how do you cope with that thought, which I can imagine can be a bit intrusive, the lack of fairness of losing a child or losing anyone for that matter. 100%. When I was taking my training with David Kessler, I think it was the very first day he had us all do a group exercise and we broke into small groups and he had, now I'll probably get the details of this slightly wrong, but I believe he asked everybody to um, list their the top three things that were the best things that have ever happened in their life. You know, it was typical, you know, met my husband, got married, had children, whatever. And then the next thing were, what are, what were the top three worst things that ever happened to you? And then after this exercise, everybody from each table got up and as a spokesperson said, you know, at this table we had, it was unbelievable. Callie, the stuff that was coming up, like somebody lost half their family in a fire. Um, you know, there was a, a huge accident, like this bus crash I was talking about and just horrible things. And it just, at first I thought, what are you doing? Like, this is a depressing enough topic enough to learn about grief, but now we're highlighting everybody's tragedies. But the whole point was that he was trying to, to make us realize is that unfortunately, part of being human is that we're all going to have some things in our lives and there frankly are worse things. Like even in my situation, I have come to believe there are worse things than what I've been through. Wow. Missing children, people who have gone missing, uh, mom doesn't know where they are. Maybe they've gone into, you know, found their way into trafficking somehow. Um, murder, rape. I mean, yeah. and, and to have, to now have that perspective is very powerful for me. Um, also working in oncology taught me a thing or two. Um, you know, in the first while, I, I too was that person saying, this is so unfair. You know, Katie was smart. She was going to be a nurse. She was going to be a real bright light. She was going to do good 
things in this world. Like why my kid, you know, I only got her for 17 and a half years. And then I took a step back and reflected on all the families that I've met at the cancer clinic, seeing them there, a lot of them by the bedside of their child. I know that there's lots of families who don't get 17 and a half years with their kids. So I have changed the way I see that. I got 17 and a half years with my girl. But that is something that takes time to arrive at. Yeah. Oh, that's a really beautiful perspective. Well, and I think, you know, it's difficult to be in a room highlighting everyone's tragedies. I think if we could walk around and see a little sign over everyone's head, you know, outlining some of the hard stuff they've been through. We'd show up for people with a different level of kindness than we do day to day, you know, like that. Everybody's going through something. Wow. If we knew, right. So just to add, to add to that, which is absolutely correct. I think to know that other people are going through hard things makes us feel less lonely or less unfair, right? Because you'd start taking a look around and you think, holy moly, you know, like that family's dealing with their son's addiction. That family's dealing with, you know, maybe dad's infidelity. I don't know, but we all have things, but we all put on, you know, like our Instagram filters and date night with my husband. And so I think our perception is that everyone else has this better life this better scenario, this better situation. They're not, they don't know my pain. Well, they may not, but I'm quite certain they've got their own pain. Yeah. Oh, that's such beautiful perspective. And I appreciate you sharing. And I think, I mean, I'm learning so much from this conversation about grief. And to me, it just looks like there's maybe not the, I, in my head, I always say DABDA, the denial, anger, bargaining. Mm -hmm. This is from Psych 101. I've had this. Yep. (laughs) And that acronym has never left me, you know, but, you know, I think just viewing it almost as like chunks or chapters where like you're ready for to hear different things and have different perspective, like, and that could be months for some people, years for other people. It's it's just so personalized. And I know you mentioned a few beautiful highlights about Katie, but I would love for you just to tell her, tell us a little bit more about her, if you're willing, because of course she hasn't been, you know, detailed in this conversation, but you're here and doing so much incredible work, helping so many people. And I would love to be able to have a testament to her and get to know her a little bit more. Oh, that is just uh, one of my favorite things to talk about. I could go on for a long time, but in a nutshell, she was sassy. She was spicy. She was a firecracker. There was no arguing with her. We always told her she should have been a lawyer. She uh, could rant like nobody's business, argue with anyone, anywhere, anytime about anything and win. Um, She was a diva. She was a fashionista. Uh, Even though I, I always say, you know, like she wasn't a drinker, she wasn't a partier, but I say that she had a serious addiction to Sephora makeup. Um, I mean, this goes back eight years ago, but, uh, my husband actually took her bank card away one time because she spent $500 in one shopping spree. And this was a girl who worked as a hostess one day a week. So did not have a big bank account. Oh, I love it. And, uh, just a funny story about makeup. Uh, the boyfriend that she was dating when she passed away was actually the son of one of the doctors I work with. And he had been in a serious car accident about a year before, and as a result, had debilitating headaches. And so they were meant to go out one evening, and and he canceled at the last minute. And she comes out of her room just steaming mad. And she said, well, doesn't he know I have $75 worth of makeup on? (laughs) And uh, just one other funny story. So same boyfriend, his car wasn't working well and uh, she had just gotten off work. She was sitting in my front window eating like uh, French fries, like fast food out of a, out of a container. 
and his car hadn't been working. So his dad said, well, take my car. So he pulls into the driveway and she looks out, out the window and she's like, oh, great. He brought the Porsche. Now I can't eat my French fries in the car. Just like, just out of the mouth of the babe. To yeah. be in mind anyway, of a 17-year-old girl. Fun. She was fun and feisty. And man, I miss her every single day. Oh, thank you. I feel honored to have this conversation and even get to hear about her. And, uh, you know, the beauty of being able to turn something so tragic and unfortunate into something where you've clearly impacted so many people, myself now being one of them. I just appreciate you so much. And before you go, I really would love to hear a little bit about your podcast. Yeah. Well, it kind of came about uh, actually when my son first started expressing his mental health struggles in the summer and, uh, you know, just being honest with my own mental health struggles over the years. And I just thought, you know, I, I would really like to do a podcast that's more focused on mental health rather than grief specifically. So I started Rising Strong Mental Health and Resilience um, October, November. And it's really almost like conversations like this, where I bring people on who've been through really tough things. It's not all grief. In fact, I'm not sure that I've had anybody on just, just grief specific, but um, all kinds of things. And I just, so we highlight the tragedy in the beginning, how they move forward, because I think that's so important. And then we really end on the hope and the resilience and the mindset at the end of, and at the end of the interviews. And it's something that I'm really, really, really loving. Oh, I'm really excited about that. I mean, and again, to give that perspective, I think that those stories will be so helpful to so many. And I really appreciate you sharing with me because I've learned so much and I want to be mindful of your time, but I have a few quick rapid fire questions uh, before we go. So I always like to ask, who is your biggest role model, biggest inspiration, if you have one? I would have to say off the top of my head, Brene Brown. Do you want to know? She gets mentioned just two podcasts ago, maybe, but always like, yes, love her for good reason. Yeah. Yes. You yeah. have a favorite Brene Brown like book talk because she has some good TED talks or excerpts that you're a fan of. Honestly, I love them all. I think the Netflix um, video that she has out right now. And of course the name is escaping me, but I, I just love everything that comes out of her mouth. Okay. Good one. Amazing. Thank you. Best advice you've ever received. Mm, I think that was before I got married and it was the minister who married us. And he, he said, it comes down to this, put your partner first. Mm. If you do that, he says, you'll always be solid. Wow. I wonder if that advice got you through that six month. Hump. That's great advice. Possibly. Best book or resource you'd recommend? Mm, for grief or Any for life? Two. Let's oh. do it. I'd love for one. Okay, for let's if you've got favorites. Well... I will give a little plug for my own book then. Uh, if anybody has lost a child, I do have a book. It's called uh, Journey to Healing, A Mother's Guide to Navigating Child Loss. And I weave in, it's not just my story. It's actually, Katie is a part of that, but I've woven in the journeys of 32 other grieving mothers and just the solid self-care pieces that I talked about today. And let's see. Oh my goodness. You're putting me on the spot here. I can't think of another one right now. Well, that's it. I mean, yours is perfect. And thank you for bringing it up because in your list of accomplishments, I can't believe you to talk about your book. So thank you. And we'll link it. Um, and that sounds like an, a truly incredible resource. Um, and last but not least for questions, personal mantra or words you live by. I can do hard things. Ooh, good one. Who's that? Glennon Doyle. Well, I'm sure so. I'm sure someone else said it somewhere before her, but I think she gets right. to 
credit to it. And last but not least, for people who want to follow along with, with you, what you've got going on, your resources, where can they find you? Uh, probably just follow me on Instagram for right now. Uh, that's Rising Strong Podcast. Perfect. And like I said, we'll link it, your episode and your resources on my website. And I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to be here. Share with me and share with the listeners. I am grateful to move forward with some of your advice. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here with Lisa and I. You can find more from me on Instagram, TikTok, and Facebook at kywellness.ca. Please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode every Sunday. If you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, please ask for help. You can always call or text 988 the 24-7 Suicide Crisis Helpline and know that you are not alone. And most importantly, don't forget to move your body, nourish your body, be kind to yourself, be kind to others. See you next week and keep yourself well.